The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We are excited to be able to kick off this Christmas season as a church family. This year we wanted to do something special, and one of the things that uh, came across our desk as an idea was to do a Christmas family devotional together as a church. And so we had a bunch of devotionals for the past couple of weeks that we've been giving out, and I hope you were able to get one of those and you've been using that. Uh, If you missed out on the giveaway, you can still pick up the devotional Our Family Christmas online, Um, and we may have a couple left if maybe you missed out on that announcement and you weren't able to get that, but we would love for you to be able to participate in that if you can. And if you have been doing it, um, you will know that we started on uh, the, uh, actually, December 28th is when, I mean, in December, we didn't start in the future. We started on November, November 28th is when we started this. And um, I'm going to be building the messages for this Christmas season out of this devotional that we're going through together. And so, The title of my message today is We Don't Have to Wait, which is also the title of our devotional. And so we're going to do a devotional today as a church before we get into the message based off of uh, where we're at in um, our devotional series there. We don't have to wait. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah prophesied years before Jesus' physical birth, centuries before mere mortals could touch him and see him, millennia before our own Christmas celebrations, and it's all come true. Before computers could read and microwaves could cook, He was, and he will always be. That reminder comes again at Christmas each year. And when the security in our lives can feel as transient as stock market gains, the promise of his everlasting being is reassurance we grab onto and don't let go of. The everlasting Father who lives in our hearts takes on the fears and trials of this life that only feeling everlasting the jagged struggles that bounce off our raw and bleeding hearts and threaten to knock us down, shatter our focus, and leave us whimpering and beat. But unlike Isaiah's listeners, we don't have to wait for our wonderful counselor to appear. He came to earth with Christmas and stays uh, to love us always. We trust Jesus is alive in our hearts. We see him in the kindness of strangers, and we feel him in the love of our family members. He is everywhere at once because we all need him. And Christmas reminds us again that our Jesus will outlast everything. And knowing that, we know all we truly need to know. And if you've been following along in the devotional, you'll know that there's also a prayer. And this is how we do it at our house, okay? I don't know how you guys have been doing it if you've been going through the devotionals. But I make the kids repeat Uh, the prayer. So I would ask that we would all just join in in this prayer together. So why don't we do this together? Let's say, Father, thank you for our everlasting Jesus and his love and grace that never end. In Jesus' name, amen. 
there's also a craft, um, and so ushers, no, I'm kidding, we're, <laughs> and there, there's also a song that you can sing in there as well, and we're not going to do that either, um, but man, what a great time of the year. We should always be focused on Jesus, and we know that. He is not just a seasonal uh, Savior, amen? He truly is our forever Savior, and we should be worshiping Him, serving Him, and prioritizing Him year-round. But I do think that this is a special time of year for us to focus on the coming of Christ in the form of this little baby that was given to this virgin named Mary, and how we should understand the gravity of why he came, what he did, so it will stir our hearts to worship him, so it will stir our hearts to want to live for him and to serve him and to give our everything to him, and also that it will stir our hearts to tell other people about him as well. Just as we read in our devotional, Isaiah 9 and 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it is awesome news because we don't have to wait. You see, when the hearers of Isaiah's prophecy first heard this good news that this was going to come about, they had this anticipation of something that had not yet happened. You and I have the benefit of being on the other side of that prophecy. We have seen this thing fulfilled, and so we don't have to wait for this wonderful counselor. We don't have to wait for this prince of peace. He is here, and he is ever-present in our time of trouble, because Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And Jesus gives us direction because he is the way. We sang about his name earlier. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. John 14 and 6, Jesus quotes that himself where he says, no one else can come to God except by me. He later says in scripture that he is the gate. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is the only way. Amen. You see, there's a lot of ideas in our world today that there are many pathways to God. There are a lot of ideas in our world today that just being a good moral person is really all you need to do. If you're just really a kind person, if you're generous, you know, when you walk by the bell ringers, you put some money in there, right? If there's a need on TV, you see a commercial, maybe one of those Sarah McLaughlin, you know, uh, all the animals and all that stuff, you know. Um, so, I will remember you, and then you, you know, and you're like, oh, that's so sad, and you feel like, oh, I'm a good person, or maybe you want to further up your game by coming to church, and you want to maybe occasionally do something nice like mow your neighbor's yard, or maybe you want to help someone out, or, or whatever the case may be, and we think that's really all we have to do, and we think that's the goal of being a Christian. And folks, that's not the goal of being a follower of Christ. It's just to be a good person doing good things because there are people in this world that don't know Christ that are doing good things. And it's not about us just doing good things. Good things that come out of us should be a result of us knowing Jesus. It's not a pathway to knowing Jesus, but rather it's the overflow of knowing Jesus. Because when I know him, it shouldn't just be a bunch of head knowledge and I've memorized all of these facts. Because if all I'm doing is memorizing facts about God and about Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with him and I don't really know him, then am I really following Jesus? I can memorize facts about anyone. I mean, isn't that what we're taught to do in school after all? 
when we would go into history class, we would learn about all of these ancient figures, and we would learn what they did, and we could memorize all these facts and pass a test. And that's not the way that our Christianity works. This is a a relationship because all those people we read about in the history books are dead, but Jesus is alive. And Jesus is active, and he wants to know you, and he wants to have an active, daily, moment-by-moment relationship with you, and he cares about your needs. Not only is he the way, the truth, and the life, but he is our wonderful counselor, as Isaiah prophesied that he would be. And it's not something we have to wait for. He's our wonderful counselor now. He wants to help us through our journey in this life. Just like any good counselor should have the ability to provide guidance, comfort, be able to listen, be able to advise. And he's wonderful. He's got to be the best, right? And so if he's the best counselor then we need to depend on him because he cares about you personally. Doesn't that just blow your mind that God cares about you personally? Doesn't it blow your mind that Jesus can think about you? Because I can't even listen to my three kids when they all talk at the same time. I have to say, be quiet one at a time. Stop over-talking each other. I can only listen to one of you at a time. And sometimes we'll have to shut them down and go, okay, you, go. And that's, that, and then here we are with all of our needs, all these people on the planet following this God and following this Jesus who they call a wonderful counselor. And how many times have we been seeking counsel from Jesus? And there are thousands and thousands, if not millions of people seeking counsel from him at the same exact moment. And he still cares enough to zero in on you and listen to you and not ignore the others. Wow. That blows my mind that he cares about me to that extent. It takes faith to trust and rest in the fact that he is our wonderful counselor. So many times we want to seek so many other things, but he is all we need because he cares about us personally. You matter to Jesus. I want you to get that settled in your heart today. Maybe you need to write that down, and instead of putting you, you need to write your name down. You need to say, John matters to Jesus, or Mary matters to Jesus. Whatever the case may be, maybe you need to get that. Maybe you need to see that, because perhaps you've been struggling, wondering, and doubting the goodness of God, because that's what the enemy does. And it's not that you're some terrible person for questioning the goodness of God. It means that you're just a fallible human that all of a sudden the enemy comes along and does the same thing he's been doing since the first two people on the earth were created. He goes and tries to get them to doubt that God really is good. And he wants to get you to doubt that you matter. He wants you to feel like God doesn't care, like you're just another person floating through life, like it's not going to matter. No one's really going to notice anyways, whether you do this or do that. No, he's watching. He's noticing. He cares you and he wants to help you and guide you and counsel you through this journey called life man could you imagine living during the days of Isaiah hearing that prophesied the anticipation that would be built towards this coming Savior this Messiah this promised Christ and you and I we don't have to wait we don't have to have that type of anticipation because he's here we don't have to wait Isaiah also said that he's our mighty God. Jesus is our mighty God. 
Now, the word mighty there also translates into the same Greek word as hero. As I was studying that, I thought, that's pretty cool. He is our hero. He is our mighty God. He has conquered sin, and he has conquered death, and he has delivered us out of darkness, and he has set us free from the curse of sin. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15 real quick, if you have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, I want to read verse 55 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. I love what Paul writes to the church in Corinth here about the result of what Christ has done on the cross. He says this very emphatically and very strong and very clear. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hero. He is our mighty, mighty, mighty God. And we see that being so true in our life that it is so natural For the Christian who understands the weight of what has been done to want to respond in awe, to want to respond with worship, to want to respond with sacrifice, to want to respond with trust and rest and peace and the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. That should be our natural response in light of the awe that we have for our mighty, mighty God, our mighty Savior, our mighty hero, the one who has taken This death, because Scripture says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And every single one of us, all have sinned, Romans 3, 23, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us has made it out without doing this sin thing. And if the wages of sin is death, if that's the consequence of uh, of sin, then I can't fix that. Jesus fixed it for us. He put death to death. So now, if we die in this physical body on this earth and we have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's not it for us. It's not over for us. We have life in Christ now and forever. We are now joint heirs with Jesus because of what he did on the cross for you and for me. Not only does he want us to be with him forever, but he also wants us to walk in victory and peace and trusting him and resting in the message of the gospel here on this earth. Every one of us, he wants us to rest. He wants us to have peace through our trials and the storms and the junk that comes our way because it's going to come your way, right? We know this. We know there's going to be trials. We know there's going to be tribulations. We know there's going to be challenges. We know there's going to be things that don't necessarily work out to our advantage in every situation. But yet when we see that Christ is enough, even through those storms, we can say confidently, as the psalmist says, yea, though I walk through the valley, right, of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear any evil because I know you're with me. That comforts me. That counsels me. That brings me peace because I know he's strong enough. And so I don't have to focus on me being strong enough. I heard a pastor that I was listening to the other day share a story about how he was always in awe of these people who had faced 
Christian persecution and would stand up for their faith, whether they were being tortured, whether they were being abused, whether they were having their family members tortured in front of them, whatever the case may be, and they stood for Christ in those moments instead of renouncing Him, instead of recanting their faith. No, they stood firm and they, they believed in Christ and they would not deny Jesus, although everyone that they loved was being taken from them and they were being put through excruciating physical and mental torment. And this pastor said, I hope that if I'm ever faced with that situation, that I would have the strength to be able to endure that type of suffering. And he said, so I spent the next two hours on my knees praying and begging and asking God for the strength that if my faith is ever put to the test and if I'm ever challenged in such a way like that, that I would have the strength to stand. He said, and then all of a sudden, he said, it hit me in the middle of all my praying and all my pleading and all of my begging that those that endure those types of sufferings, that it's not their strength that they're depending on to make it through. He said, I thought I had to, you know, become Christian 2.0. I had to level up, you know. I had to like reach a new height as a Christian to be able to really stand and for God as if there's a person that can stand because they're just this strong. No, it's am I in awe and am I serving him and do I love him and is he worth it? It's not about me being strong enough. It's about me depending on Christ and saying he's strong enough. He's our mighty God. Amen, somebody? Not only did Isaiah say he was our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, but he also said, Jesus is our everlasting father. And this one hit me really in a strange way because I wanted to think about this. I think oftentimes when we approach scripture, especially around Christmas time and Easter, if we're not careful as Christians, we can allow these stories of Christ that we may be more familiar with. Even if you haven't been around church your whole life, you are somewhat familiar with some level of some Christmas story, more than likely. And so, if we're not careful, we'll miss things because we get so accustomed to hearing them over and over again. And we agree with them, and we like them when they're said, but do we actually stop and think about them? And so I challenged myself as I was preparing this message to stop and think about these different names that were given to Jesus, our Savior. And when I got to this one, I really had to stop. Because as I thought about those two words that, that make up that word, that everlasting, I thought, this everlasting Father, that's normally not how we see our Father. We don't normally look at our earthly Father as everlasting because more than likely, uh, the way that our natural progression of our age, and I know that there are exceptions, but the natural progression of our age is often we see fathers pass away before children. I know there's things in life that happen that the, the contrary is, but the majority most likely experience a father that is temporary. When we meet our father here on this earth, our idea of a dad is someone who's an adult most of the time, or at least in age is an adult, right? <laughs> Physically mature, right? And we see this physically mature person, and we're the small child. And that's our idea of a father. We don't understand this everlasting father. We understand an aging father. The older our fathers get, the less they're able to do. Um, you know, I mean, that's when dads, as they get older, still tell their kids they can do things that they really can't do, but they don't want their kids to know 
they can't do them anymore. Oh, yeah, I can still take you down. I'm not sure about that. You look really big, but I'm not going to let you know that. I'm going to still tell you I can still take you down, even though I'm not really confident in that statement. And as we get older, we seem to be less and less strong. Our, our, our strength kind of begins to leave our bodies, even though mentally we still feel like we're there. It's just not there physically. And as I thought about Everlasting Father, I thought, he's always strong. He doesn't, get, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't depreciate in his strength or his focus or his care. He's everlasting. He is a good father. He is the best father. Amen? And everlasting and father aren't two words we would naturally combine because all of our fathers, they do have an end. But man, we're experiencing the love of the father that doesn't have any end at all. And as we look at this, this may be a little confusing. Why would Isaiah call the prophesied Messiah the Father? Because isn't he the Son? Like, I'm confused here. Like, what's, what's happening? And when he was speaking here, he's talking about his character because John 14, 9 through 10, Jesus also said to Philip, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he said, how will we know when the Father, you know, has come? He said, well, you know, I'm here. It's, it's that character. It's that heart of God. Even although we do believe in the Trinity and we see that there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we also see the unity there. And we see that that character in the heart of God is still very present in Jesus, who is both God and man at the same time. And he said that to help us to understand this is who I am. This is, this is who I am. Jesus always has been. He was there at the beginning. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen, somebody? Amen. He's that everlasting Father. He always was, and He always will be. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's consistent. He's consistent. Not only is He everlasting, but He's consistent. And that means when someone is consistent, man, I can trust. Aren't you grateful for people in your life who are consistent? Maybe you're that person. Praise God if you are. But aren't you grateful for consistency that you can depend on someone? You know that you have those friends that it's really odd if they show up late to something. Say you're going to meet at a restaurant at 6 o'clock and you had agreed upon that. And it's, they're normally there 10, 15 minutes early. And you're looking at your watch and you're going, oh, we agreed to be here, say, at 6 o'clock and it's 6.05. And you think something's wrong because that's out of the ordinary. That violates that person's character because they've been so consistent. And maybe something happened you were just unaware of. Their phone died, whatever the case, they couldn't let you know. And it was, it's such an anomaly when something like that happens, but normally there's such peace that comes with that consistency. And our God is consistent. And the Savior, Jesus Christ, He is consistent, and we can trust Him. And Jesus reveals the heart of God to the world. He reveals the heart of God to the world. You can see what God cares about through the actions of Jesus Christ. You can see what matters most, what's important. You can see that when the crowds were pressing him and one person cries out to him or one person touches him, that he stops the whole thing. You can see that when Jesus was going one direction with a group of people and then there's a need where one of the, uh, the, the leader's daughters had passed away, he diverted his whole journey just to go and minister to one. 
You see, that's the heart of God. That's how we know God cares for us. Because Jesus would stop and he would give attention. He, he cares about the kids. Remember, the disciples were trying to push the kids away. And Jesus said, don't forbid the kids to come here. He said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, man. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're missing the beauty of this innocence here. We see the heart of God revealed through Jesus Christ. The other thing Isaiah said is that Jesus is our prince of peace. He is the source of peace. And let's clarify peace for a moment. I know that we all want peace in the sense of I'm worried about the bills and I need peace. Or I'm worried about my relationship with my kids or my spouse or I'm worried about that project at work the boss is breathing down my neck or I blew it and I messed up and I need peace and yes Jesus does give us that type of peace and that is good and we thank him for that but the peace that passes our understanding the peace that guards our heart and our minds through Jesus Christ is not just a peace when everything is going well but it is the peace that I can exhale and rest knowing that I am right with God. That's the bigger peace that you and I need. And if I know I am right with God and my relationship is right with God because of Jesus, then everything else is secondary, man. Everything else is secondary. All those other things that bother us, it's almost like we want peace in reverse order. It's like we ask God to bless us with peace. God, I just need some peace right now because I'm freaking out, man. I need some peace right now because I, I, the situation's got me all worried. And we want it the opposite way. Like it's like fairy dust that sprinkles on us. And all of a sudden, I just, no, no, no. Peace comes. Real peace, everlasting peace, the type that passes your understanding. Because if we operate only in our understanding, we are going to have turmoil. Because not everything is going to work the way we want it to work. Not everything's going to go our way, guys. And if you can spend the rest of your life trying to control everybody and everything, and you are going to be a hot mess. But if you trust in Christ, there will be a peace that floods over you, that passes your understanding, that guards your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And it's the type of peace where Jesus said, why are you afraid of what man can do to you? Man can kill the body, but he has no say-so over your soul. He has no say-so over your soul. So what is the worst thing that someone can do to you? They could maybe take your life. That would be pretty bad. But Jesus said, don't even be afraid of that. He said, don't fear them. He said, don't you know I've overcome the world? In other words, he's saying, this isn't the end. Yeah, some people are going to be sad. You might miss out on some things here on earth. But at the end of the day, you're better off because you're with him in heaven forever. Amen. And that's the type of peace that passes my understanding that when trials come, when junk comes my way that wants to knock me down and knock me off and get me to just spin in this whirlwind of chaos and craziness, that I can go, you know what? I know I'm, I'm right with God because of Jesus. Not because of me, but thank God it's not because of me. Or rather, it's in spite of me. That I can be at peace knowing that I'm right with God. And that just passes. It bypasses. It, it takes a different route than my understanding. And what that kind of peace does, Scripture says, is that it guards my heart. 
and it guards my mind in Christ Jesus. It's not the type of peace that, a, that the world gives. But Isaiah said he is going to be that prince of peace. And that prince of peace has come. And he is here. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you have put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ, then the peacemaker is on the inside of you. And you don't have to live this life always stressed out and worried and anxious and fearful. You don't have to roll around with knots in your stomach in the bed all night long. Because if you're right with Jesus, everything else, he said if we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things are going to be added unto you. He said, so why are you worried about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to sleep. What, what, are you, what are you thinking about all that? He said, that's the type of stuff that people who, who don't even know me are worried about. That's the type of stuff that the world is thinking about. People that are disconnected. They're not a part of the vine. They're not grafted in. They're not, they're not connected. They're not hooked up, man. But you, you're, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You have a connection that people who don't know Jesus, man, they just don't have it. And when Christ becomes enough, I can exhale and rest and thank him because he truly is enough. You can go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And verse 13. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. Last week we ended the service by just straight up reading word for word through Ephesians 1 and 2. And I hope that if you've needed to reset your heart throughout this past week as junk comes up, as stuff comes up in your life that you have referred back to reading Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And if you forgot about it, write it down. And maybe you need to go do that. Maybe you need to do that today, to just go through that. And the purpose of it is, is that it reminds us of who we are, and it reminds us of what Christ has done. And I love what Paul does in Ephesians because he talks about who we were before Christ. And then he says, this is how you were, right? We were all once this way. But now because of Jesus, this is how we are. And this is our status now. Things are different now. And he reminds us of that. So we go, oh yeah, that's right. That is who I was before Christ. But now because of Christ, this is who I am. That's right. It should stir joy in my heart. It should flood my heart and my mind with peace. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to read through 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, he showed us where we once were. You remember Grover? Far? Near, right? You remember? You remember that? Paul's trying to get it on a Sesame Street level. Before Jesus, you were far. But because of the blood of Christ, you're brought near. And he's going, this is good. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. Isn't that cool? He is our peace. It's not something we get apart from him. It's like he is the peace. Think about that. <laughs> For he himself is our peace who has made us both one 
So you see, we were two before, right? He said, we, we were separated before from God. It's like us and God. But now, because of Jesus, he's, he's made us one. And then he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There used to be this wall up of hostility between us and God. And, and that wall was our sin. But now that wall, because of Jesus, has been broken down, he said. He abolished the law and commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. So, so we used to have all of these things that people would attach to say, this is how you're going to be righteous if you can do all of these things. And he said, no, 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 not anymore. It's not about that. It's now his grace. It's now his love. It's now the fact that he's broken down because you can't be perfect. And, and, and the law, man, would kill every one of us because none of us could uphold it. And it showed us, wow, we really need help. Because even the most disciplined people on the planet could not adhere to every aspect of the law. And, and those that thought they had, Jesus messed up their world big time. Because they thought they had done it, and they thought, yeah, I've done all this stuff. And Jesus said, yeah, you want to go be perfect, then go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. <laughs> or, or he would talk to the religious leaders and the Pharisees, and they would you know, want to show everything they had done. And, and, and Jesus would say, oh, you, you think you got it, right? You think you got it? Well, I want you to know that you really don't because you're pretty much like a whitewashed tomb. You look pretty on the outside, but on the inside, you're still dead. And you need to be made alive on the inside. It's not about you looking nice on the outside. It's, you're still dead inside. Jesus was trying to show us, man, you, you, you can't just earn your way here. And then Jesus took it even a step further again where he was talking to people and he said, you know, you've heard it said that you're not supposed to murder anybody. Killing is bad. But then he said, but I say to you, whoever has this wrath and anger in his heart where he says, Raka, to his brother, or I wish you were dead. He says, like you've already done it in your heart. If you've ever looked upon a woman and lusted upon her in your heart, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And he took it to a whole new level. And here Paul says there was hostility between us and God, no matter how good we tried to be. But Jesus broke down the wall of hostility for you and for me. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Man, we now have access to God. The barrier caused us to not have access. No access. Not connected. But now, because of Jesus, we're connected. We don't have to wait because Jesus is now. Jesus is alive, and he desires a relationship with us. And he wants us to trust him, to rest in him, and to find true joy, true peace, and contentment in him. And this is not something we have to wait for heaven to experience. This is something we can experience now because Jesus is alive. And he's all of these things. Jesus is all we need. He's the ultimate gift. And we can experience who he is now on the earth in this lifetime. Because nothing is better than Jesus. So let me ask you today, what do you need? Whatever you need, 
I hope you see now that Jesus is the answer. What are you searching for? What do you need? I want you to know he's the answer. And he wants you to rest in him by simply trusting in him that he is enough. Trusting in him that he is enough. We still need to take responsibility in our lives where there's things we need to do. But if we're following Christ, we should want to do everything as unto the Father. So we should want to please him by the way we live our lives, the way we manage our finances, the way we interact with our spouse, the type of employee we are or the type of employer or manager that we are, the type of business that we run and the type of ethics that we uphold in that business, the way that we parent and the way we interact with our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews, our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, our grandparents, our co-workers, our neighbors, the way that we take care of and steward the things that God has blessed us with. That should be a reflection of our love for Him because we want to do everything as unto the Lord. And so it's not I'm doing these things as a pathway to Him, but rather I'm doing these things as a result because of Him. And it's because of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.